Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair's Wade In podcast. Uh, we are two weeks away from the Cheltenham Festival, but we have so much to discuss, not just with the racing from the past seven days, but loads of topical things in the news as well. So as per last week, I'm very much expecting this to be a spicy old show and added spice because we've got Brendan Duke back. Brendan, let's check in with you first and foremost. How are you, spicy little fat rascal? Uh, well, I've, uh, I'm in, I'm in good form. I'm still cold. I'm wearing two jumpers at the moment, actually, because the cold just got into my bones and fairy house, and it didn't really get out in nice. I don't know what it was like in England over the weekend, but, but it was particularly chilly here. But some some very good racing, very very dramatic finishes, particularly in nice yesterday. So yeah, a good solid weekend. Good, good. I'm glad you're in quite cheery form. It's cold over here too, and I didn't have the best of weeks, so I need you boys to give me a little cheer along. Uh, I do not always rely on Tony Calvin to be the cheer element of this show, but come on, TC, give me something to cheer about. Uh, well, I've stuck in a Kimmage question uh, for, for Brendan, because he sat on the fence last time we discussed that, man. <laughs> So we'll get him off it, won't we? We'll get him off it. Not only that, he's got some backup because Blake's back. Blake missed that show. So, yeah. uh, He's just going to get run over again and then reverse back. But there's some... I'm not cheery news, man, anyway. But it was... um, I was quite sad to hear about Jim Lewis um, passing away this morning. We're doing this at two o'clock on Monday and news has just come through that he's died. He's... um, He was like... When we did the... The inaugural running in the Betfair Chase in 2005, he was, uh, I was actually working with him to try and get best mate to run in that. And um, I actually went down to Exeter to see the, uh, to see Lewis and best mate run in the Helden Gold Cup and uh, obviously died there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite, it was quite emotional. They came over and hugged me and started crying and everything. It was, it was quite bad. And I've I, I met him since and I supported his, his wife's charity at Worcester on Derby Day. So yeah, I was disappointed to see him. It's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? These big figures, how they just disappear from the scene altogether. I don't know if he's been ill or anything. He's very much like Clive Smith, isn't he? Top of the tree, Gold Cup winners, massive horses all around the place, and they just disappear from racing quite a bit. So, yeah, that was sad news anyway. Very sad news. A real character of the game, as you say. Um, Kev, how, how are you today? How You've been on the gravy train again this morning, I hear? It's gravy train. Um, yeah, I was up at Gardens, um, up at Gardens for the, the Irish press morning. So that was good. The weather was nice. Gordon a good farm. Busty and all the team a good farm. So horses looking well. Counting down to two weeks to go now. So yeah, they're in good farm. So come on, obviously it'll be in a column, but go on, give the weighed in listeners a little nugget, something that caught your attention. There must have been oh, something in there. Little nugget, little nugget. Um, he was. He was quietly, quietly bullish about one in the Supreme at a big price. Um, now, what's his bloody name? Doctor, Doctor Bravo. Yeah, yeah. He's about uh, he's about a million to one, and um, yeah, he was he yeah, and he wasn't. He it wasn't. Sometimes you can catch Gordon out now if you're well prepped. You go in and ask him about a sneaky one, and you can kind of catch him off guard. And he, the the mask was slipped, but he actually offered this one himself. So there you go. Brilliant. Okay. Well. Wade in listeners will be delighted with that. Um, let's move on. Let's move on. We've got footsteps of the festival coming up later in the show. We'll also be looking back at the news topics and we've got great questions. But of course, we do our review section first. Any new listeners? By the way, we do have a new listener, one new listener, uh, someone who I've converted to our podcast. She listens to loads of sports podcasts. She's now listening to this and she says it's the best one out there. So how about that for a bit of praise? I mean, the 
pal. I can't tell you. Probably our first female listener. Stop, stop. <laughs> I'd love it to. Won't be the, it won't be the last either because I'm rocking my Scandi ski instructor <laughs> look. So you can imagine the ladies are quite weak at the knees. As we well, quite, quite, Brendan. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right, let's start with the review section. We are going to kick off. Go for the reasons section. you'd hoped, anyway. <laughs> We're going to kick off. I can get one like that. Stop. <laughs> Kitty's light, guys. Wins the Ida chase for Christian Williams, taking the race for a second year in a row. He went off the 7-4 to favourite in the end. Very short for a race of this nature. He's only a seven-year-old. Um, I guess we should discuss the performance, but we can't really discuss the performance without discussing the build-up to the performance. And this is where we've got quite a few questions on sort of just handicapping in general, I guess. But Glenn Sargent asked a good question. He's asked, <laughs> thoughts on Christian Williams handicapping shenanigans in winning the big race yesterday with Kitty's Light? Seems to be the likes of him, Sam Thomas and Prescott, etc. get lauded for doing what small Irish trainers get pilliard for, certainly in the UK racing press anyway. And Craig Guest and James Aljo have asked very similar questions, flagging up, obviously, what Ronan McNally's been through recently and then looking at a situation like Kitty's Light and thinking, are there similarities, are there crossovers here? And do everyone get, does everyone get treated the same, I guess, Kev? Um, that might be a little tough now, like, like in this particular horse's case, like he is as slow as a funeral. And um, I think those, those extreme trips, you know, are, are needed, you know, at this stage of his career. Um, like you say, he's not an old horse, but he is slow. And, you know, it... it <laughs> You can't force them to run them over marathon trips. He's been running them over three miles and a little bit shorter. And um, and look, he, he's been running fine. Um, and as we've seen and been talking about for the last two seasons, uh, the British handicapper has just been very, very generous with these horses. Generally, particularly so with older ones. And Kitty's Light is not old, but benefited from a from a twelve pound drop for um, you know whatever it was five runs, none of which I would have been too depressed about. Um, and yeah, back up and trip and, and away he went, um, you know, with, with, with um, significant market support. Uh, you know, so always sometimes it advised to to assume that because they're heavily backed that all, all the connections are on, they've had a write off. You know, that's not the case anymore. Um, I think everyone could see this the potential for improvement up and back up and trip. And um, it duly came despite some um, not too clever jumping through the contest but look he was a well handicapped horse back over a trip that suits him best and away he went fair enough tc can you see kind of going back to the question we've got james aljo's question wraps up by asking kitty's light not off for the first five runs of the season then punted off the boards on saturday was he punted off the boards um well he was yeah well he was freeze at the start of the week he was 11 to 4 and 5 to 2 um have I frozen that? All right. I, I had a frozen headshot. It must um, disconcerted me. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously, he was well back, wasn't he? He was like, but he was freeze on Monday, 11 to 4, 5 to 2 overnight on the Friday, and he went off 7 to 4 with two non runners. So, you know, he was well back, but it wasn't a smash up job, was it? Because he was never that big a price. But I think the main point that they're all getting, the three questioners are getting at, is that. What really stuck in the core of one of the listeners is, I mean, he was listening to Dan Skelton after Phlegmatique got beat, and that was a gamble. That was 28s on the Monday, went off 10s. And um, Dan Skelton said something to the effect, oh, this has been the plan, you know, all season. And 
And his last two starts, he wasn't sighted. So the, the, the questioner said, well, actually, listening to that, if I back the horse on those last two starts, when it clearly wasn't the plan, as it were, you know, did I ever have any chance of winning? And that's, that's always the danger when you when these trainers say, I got laid out for it and, and stuff like that. We've, we've had it, you know, with George Bowie on the flat, hasn't he, just at the turn of the year when he was, you know, he was embarrassing the handicapper and just, you know, running up four or five timers with the likes of Queen of Ipanema. So it does rub people up the wrong way, but it's the handicap system. And uh, and if you are good at it, and Christian Williams is, I mean, you know, Kitty's light was very favourable handicapping, wasn't it? I mean, I can understand, you know, there's a there's a directive to drop the older horses quite a lot, but as Kev pointed out, Kitty's light's only seven, uh, seven-year-old. So it does stick in the core of some people, but, you know, that's just the way the system is. And some people are just very good at playing it, aren't they? So, yeah, I, I can kind of see the point when trainers come out and say, basically, you know, this is everything else in the lead up. It's just been to this prize. But uh, no, it's just just life, isn't it? Just life. Handicapping loopholes. Brendan, do you have any sympathies with the people who have tweeted into the show in regards to this? I'm inclined to say all in the in the game, yo. I mean, uh, Tony uh, flagged this up when he predicted a big weekend for the Tafia, and he was proven correct. And I, I mean, I'm just looking. I mean, not off. The horse was 130 first time up in Chepstow, and it was it was beaten out of sight. But maybe they, it, when 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 they ran the horse in that race, they had some aspirations of thinking he might turn into a graded chaser. And then he's run a couple of times on soft ground. He wants better ground. They were over two miles, six and a half furlongs and three miles. He wants further. He really came alive in the spring last year. I feel like can the the the, the people, I mean, I don't want to be, be patronizing to them, but it, it, it's all part of your betting strategy, isn't it? So maybe the, the, the Dan Skelton thing, people might stick in their betting memory bank for next year. Oh, there's a 150 grand handicap that Dan Skelton might be laying a horse out for. Um, I, I, I don't really feel like this is the system and the trainers have to play the game and to a degree, the punters have to play the game as well. And we all just have to muddle along. Yeah, I think I probably concur with that. And we can move from one shrewd operator, you might call him, to another. This time, Emmett Mullins, because he uh, had a good win at the weekend with Corbett's Cross. Donna Myler in the saddle won the grade two at Nace. This time, dropping back to two miles, the shortest trip this horse had ever raced over. He's been campaigned over staying trips for his previous team. And then I think the, the new team had him declared over three miles on his first go, but he didn't actually get there that day. And instead, they ran him here at Nace in a grade two and he manages to out battle find a 50 Kev um, to the surprise of many but what what does this mean for Corbett's cross going forwards he's now six from eights for the Albert Bartlett but surely he's got loads of options now literally yeah yeah like a big drop and trip don't think it was ideal managed to win anyway so you have to be impressed is it an ideal prep for the Albert Bartlett if they end up going there um, perhaps not. Like it's 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 in the plate. Needs to be needs to be supplemented. Am I right in saying? No, he's got one entry in the Albert Bartlett. Sorry, need, it would need to be supplemented for the Bellymore. Um, yeah. if they wanted to do that, but it, yeah, look, he's an interesting one. Um, look, Emmett, we, we know what he can do with stable switchers. This wouldn't be a typical profile of one. The horse has been active and doing very well for for Eugene O'Sullivan prior to this. Um, but but this this would have. This would have um, 
a performance like this now would, would really encourage you for his longer-term prospects, you know, um, for him to be able to do that when he clearly stays further um, suggests that there'll be more to come when he goes back up in trip, um, be, be it a mid-range trip or all the way back up to three. Okay. Uh, Brendan, you were at Nace, were you? So you saw him? Mm, I did see him and I had never seen him before and he's a strong, rangy sort. He'll, he'll definitely jump a fence and he's well able to jump a hurdle. You could argue he's maybe jumps the hurdles a little big. I'm not sure Kevin was saying uh, the drop and trip probably didn't suit him. I mean, that's that's probably true based on the fact that the trips he's been running off. But he was the last horse off the bridle. He travelled and jumped like a dream. And that found a 50 isn't short of pace. I mean, he beat a well-regarded horse of uh, Willie Mullins in a a maiden hurdle in fairy house and the time bandits were all over they love that found of 50 and i think they were onto something i have a suspicion these are just two proper horses because found of 50 he was still a bit keen in nace but he, he was more relaxed than he was in fairy house which is very encouraging in terms of his development and the way he fought back and made corbett's cross pull out all the stops like i just thought it was over turning for home with the guaranteed stamina of corbett's cross but it got close in the end 16 lengths back to the third now she'd only won uh an egg and spoon mare's maiden hurdle in Limerick, uh, but she did win by half the track. I have a suspicion that these are just two proper horses. I, it's interesting because he's muddied. The, I mean, obviously Emmett Mullins. I mean, he, he's, he's muddied the waters a bit this morning to saying, look, supplement. We got their options open. Apparently, Paul Burns very open to to supplementing the horse. Uh, you know, other races. He's not currently, you know, currently in. And obviously that that brings in the two mile four, two mile five, and you know the two mile two mile races as well. So yeah, I, mean, I just think he's a very good horse. I mean, go and have a look at the three mile win previously. He's absolutely cantered all over him uh, over three miles. And as as Brendan says and Kev said, yeah, he's got the two mile speed as well. It's just with Mullins, is he, he he just likes to keep you guessing, doesn't he? But and he's he, like he said, and if they want to supplement him, they may well do. I was just looking at the more battle. Uh, before we came on air, uh, and um, he he just you know he's he just does the small things really well. In the mall battle, you get ten pound weight allowance for four year olds. He's got the only four year old in the race in McTeague, and he just their attention to detail with race planning is you know is, is second to none. So if they supplement him for a, for a le- for a you know a, a lesser race distance wise, you, you've got to sit up and take notice, but. I'm with the I'm with the other two. It's I think it's a I think he's just a very very good horse. It's a good horse alert. Corbett's cross. Uh, be very intriguing to see where he ends up. Let's move in on to staying chasers because we saw the Bobby Joe at Fairy House. Kenboy won it from Vanilla. Bounced back to form for the Albert Bartlett winner from 2021. He's been in the wilderness this season, but he's now 40s from 66s for the Grand National. Um, let's dissect that area first. Brendan, we'll kick off with you for this. Um, what were your takeaways from the Bobby J chase? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, it was a huge effort on, on paper from Vanilla, given eight pounds to Kenboy. And I mean, Kenboy had disappointed in the Irish Gold Cup, but he got a very unusual ride that day. It, 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 it wasn't an aggressive. He made the run, but at a tepid pace. Uh, but his, his previous couple of efforts in, in, in Down Royal and behind Conflated in the Irish Gold Cup suggest 
he's not far off his best despite his advancing years. And for Vanillier to get that close to him, now, of course, the snag is now where or when was only a length behind and carefully selected and pencil full of lead probably need deeper ground. So you can definitely pick holes in it. But the thing about Vanillier is I, I'm pretty sure someone told me at the start of the season that he'd had an operation for a kissing spine. Oh. And then you, you can sort of look at his form this year. Down Royal, the trip was too short. Punchestown in the John Durkin, the trip was too short, although that was an abysmal effort. And then, then he falls in Leopardstown. So he hasn't done a lot wrong. And maybe if he was having a physical issue, He'd definitely be a well-handicapped horse off 144 in the Grand National. And with his run style, you, you never know. But I, I, I suspect he probably would stay. It's a changed race now. It, it, that, that sort of seems like a big price to me uh, for a 40 to 1. He'll get in as well. So if that's their intention, which uh, why wouldn't it be such a massive prize? Yeah, 40 to 1 just seems a little bit overs. Okay, well, TC, the other market mover in the Grand National um, market for, from the weekend, anyway, from the week's racing was R Power, who's now 25s from 50s, having won the Coral Handicap Chase at Kempton at the weekend, yeah. just getting up on the line for another shrewd operator in Sam Thomas. Maybe this podcast should be named after shrewd handicapping trainers. Um, R Power was off a long break and they had him cherry ripe for the day and, like I say, into 25s for the National. So any interest in that? No, he's he's also been cut for the Ultima. Uh, I imagine they might go to the Ultima or, or Liverpool or one of the two. So, but that. But just coming back to Vanilli, I mean, the forties has actually been taken. It's twenty fives across the board now, and I had a good look at that race, and I ended up backing Vanilli twenty fives on one and no bet uh, for uh, uh, for entry after that performance. I mean, he's fortieth in the list of a mark of one hundred and forty seven, and you know, he, obviously everyone saw his Albert Bartlett win two. You know, two years ago, and uh, I, I was very taken by that. I think he's a well handicapped horse. He's got the back class, been running in Grade One company, albeit not great. If they have got him right, and that performance suggests to me, you know, you know, giving weight, giving eight pound to Kenboy. I know that Brendan's mentioned now where I went is inferred that probably maybe put a bit of a dampener on the form. But yeah, from what I saw there, I. I, I, I was, especially with a number one, I know, better angle that I think you can get elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I was quite taken by that. Okay, and Kev, should we use this opportunity to talk about national weights? As always, an annual weights reveal um, up in Liverpool on Tuesday caused a bit of a stir. Some people unhappy, some people happy. Jerry, Gary, sorry, has sent in a question on this. How can it be right for GA Law not to be qualified for the national because he fell at the last in his three-mile race, yet he's been put up for the run? Um, and we've had other, well, you've seen lots of stuff in the press, is it? Um, Ted Walsh isn't very happy and a few other people grumbling too. So what are your takeaways from the national weights in general? And you can throw in at those two horses we've discussed as well, if you fancy it, Kev. Um, no giant surprises. Um, look, we're used to them handicapping the Grand National like, quite aggressively on, on past runnings. And look, that would be the case with any second now. Like It's aggressive handicapping for a horse of his age. Um, he'll be eight pounds higher than he was last year. Look, he ran an absolute cracker, um, long way clear to third, etc. And uh, you, you can't justify it. Like most things in handicapping, you can justify it, but 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 is it right? Um, I I would say like in the in the broader picture of the way the British handicapper is handicapping the home team of saying chasers, um, I, I think it's pretty tough. 
you know, we've, t- we've been talking about it every week for the last two seasons, how aggressively he's dropping these horses. And he's taken this 11-year-old and, and, and you know, eight pounds higher than last year. It, um, it, it, it just seems tough for what was a great run, but, but, it, but it seems tough. Um, personally, I think the entry factor, which is clearly an element in, the, in this handicapping, like should, should have been thrown in the bin. Um, quite a few years ago, it's it, it you know it, it it was justifiable 15 years ago, but since they changed the fences, it it's very very close to a normal marathon handicap chase. Now it looks different to our eyes, but in terms of it has a contest, it, it's not that different to justify um, a, a completely different handicapping scale and system. Um, and I know the lads enjoy their their handicap way to lunch, but. I think it's all a bit unnecessary now at this stage, and I can see why they might be a bit annoyed. You know, any second now has been has been a you know it doesn't matter from a handicapping point of view, but from a I suppose from a sentimental perspective, he's been a tough horse for them. He obviously had a had a, a very frustrating experience there a few years ago where he nearly got brought down and, and and ran an absolute belter afterwards, and then he's you know bumped into one last season as well. So you, you can you can see why they're frustrated and um, I, I just think it, it's a bit over aggressive in, in my mind, but. Um, Cheltenham waits tomorrow, Vanessa. There'll be plenty more uh, gnashing of teeth, etc. There'll be some big losers, as there always has been, well, as there has been for for recent, for you know much of the last kind of decade when these weights come out. And uh, there's some very big losers, some um, some that managed to slip through the net and escape. But um, yeah, wouldn't it be lovely if we just had a nice uniform rise and we wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff? But then we'd we'd have nothing to talk about then, Vanessa, would we? Exactly, there would be no point in having way then. Um, <laughs> question is quite interesting now, isn't it? Because that is an anomaly, isn't it? The handicap when he fell at the last, yeah, when he fell at the last and the handicap has upped him two pounds. It's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, I've, I've actually had when we did, um, um, was it yeah, when we did our footsteps for the festival on, on the Ryanair, I actually ended up backing. Garlow at 66s and 33s, not one I know bet. Um oh. uh, before that that fall last time. And the and the problem he's got now is he has to run it, he has to qualify over three miles again. And so he wants to go to the Ryanair, but he can't because obviously the Ryanair's two mile oh. five. If he's got any pretensions of going to the Grand National, it is a bit of a curious one, isn't it? And they're, they're silly rules, really. We we love we know they're they're well intentioned, but they're Again, that, that's, I mean, that is that is the prime example where you should have discretion, isn't it? Surely, I mean, if you are upping a horse you for a performance so. over three miles, even though he fell at the last, yeah, he's a bit yeah, of a. It's, it's a difficult thing, though, Tony. Like I suppose, if you want consistency, you need black and white. But if you want common sense, you know, you need you, you need some grey. And if you if you introduce some grey, you'll always get someone that's that's not happy that they didn't get enough grey compared to the fellow next to them. Yeah. Sort of we, we, well, we've had it recently again with I uh, before, haven't we? With I will do it. Uh, Welsh Grand National winner only run five times. Uh, so he's not qualified for entry. So yeah, it's... yeah, sure. And okay. Bustle, Bustleton would have run in the Grand National this year if he was qualified, but he's six, so they won't let him run. You know, young. He's, he's, young. he's won a carry. He's won a carry national. He's had thirteen runs over fences, but he's too young to run in the Grand National. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Nazareth winning the Adonis from Perseus Way. Both of them have been market movers in the Boodles as a result. Nazareth now five to one from eights for the Boodles. Perseus Way eights from twelves. Uh, Scriptwriter obviously well beaten. And Nazareth one for Kevin Blake fans with racing only better and one for your boss, Kev. 
Yeah, no, it was great. Um, lovely ride by Daryl. Uh, as we talked about in racing, only better. Like he's he's not the world's most straightforward ride. Um, he needs to be ridden like that. Really quiet. Loads of confidence. Delivered late. And Daryl did just that, hit the front just after the last. He would have got there even later if, if Perseus Way had jumped the last a bit cleaner. But um, well, on top of the line, talented horse. Um, that's his ground. That, that was the main key to the improvement. And um, th- there's also a view that he might be a little bit better going that way around. Um, but yeah, lovely. Don't know if he'll go to Cheltenham. Um, I'd, I, I, I suspect not. He has an entry in the Boodles, but the thought... Um, the thought prior to Kempton was that if he went well there, he might be safe for, you know, entry fairy house that type of thing. So, um, so we'll see. His 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 connections are entitled to change their mind if they want, and sure he'd have a bit of a chance if he went there, surely. But, um, I don't think he needed to improve that much. This was a weak grade two, and that's why he travelled. And um, yeah, great to great to see him do it. Um, and in in a broader sense. Um, you would be concerned about those British juveniles and how how competitive they'll be able to be, certainly in the Triumph and probably the, the Boodles to a lesser extent. Yeah, absolutely. That was the question that was going to come your way, Brendan. Just looking at that division as a whole, we will be discussing the Boodles very mm. shortly in footsteps of the festival. But as a general sense, watching Nazareth bolt, well, not bolt him, but win the Adonis in the fashion he did and no excuse given for scriptwriter, it was a little bit depressing if you're on this side of the Irish Sea, I guess. Yes, yeah, so, well, well scriptwriter ju- jumped very poorly. Um, I, I, I don't know what happened there because he, he had some experience. He has been jumping well the last, but he made a couple of howlers and uh, th- that didn't help his chance. Um, but yeah, he, 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 he was one of, one of your better hopes. Uh, things don't look good for the uh, British juvenile scene. And then, of course, there's a trickle-down effect. Um, because it would be interesting to see what, what the English handicapper does. Like, whether he runs or not, I don't think Nusrat's going to get much more than 130. He was 130 going into that race. Bercy's way was 125. He beats him a length and a quarter, albeit both the horses were interfered with in, in the carnage at the fourth last. And Perseus way made a mistake at the last but I'm not sure there's a whole pile you can do to Nuzrat and then there's a trickle down effect with the other Irish horses who are tied in with him so um, I'm not sure the English handicapper is going to be able to give the Irish horses enough to stop them no. I'll tell you what I'm expecting Brendan from the from the Boodle's weights is yeah. I think that they're going to come out and us Irish boys are going to be rubbing our hands going oh god yeah, I can't believe you know th- this horse got this and that horse got that you know, with pleasant surprise, but I think when you look a, a bit closer and look at what the English horses are being given, uh, to me, watching it all season, I think the levels have dropped a fair bit. I think okay. they've conscious they've consciously been putting the English horses in lower. They've been dropping them like quite aggressively, and you don't you don't see aggressive drops in juveniles really because they're only learning about them. But we've seen we've seen a few cases like that. Um, Paul Nichols's filly, who since had had a career ending injury, whose name escapes me, was an example. She finished um. She finished second in the Jesus the the, the grade two at Chepstow, the comfort zone one, and the oh, handicap. Dixon's Cove was it? Somewhere that's there? the very that's the very one. Yeah, have a look at her. He, he dropped her five pounds for finishing second in a grade two. You know, I think they they're being very aggressive with them, and I think that that'll probably be reflected in the weights. Sure. Um, hilariously, just just a kind of a, a an offshoot from this handicapping overall point of the British handicapper going very easy and being very generous to the home team. Um, it might have some unintended consequences in that they don't have as many runners. <laughs> you know, British participation could be quite a bit down in these handicaps in that they're rated too low to get in. You know, I think we'll definitely see an element of that in the Grand National. 
And I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if we see it in the Cheltenham handicaps too, because that's um, you know, that 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 can be an unintended consequence when you're trying to um when you're when you're using it. a little bit of protectionist handicap and some some things might say, Vanessa. Some, I'll, some leave, I'll leave some thoughts on the boodles for, for when we deal with that in a moment. But we had a question from David and just said, uh, are English even gonna have a runner in the triumph? It'd be an interesting race to price up because uh eventuality to price up because can't think of any because he you know, he made the point Bo Zenith may wait may wait for uh entry. There could literally be no that no would be we'll get Barry, we'll get Barry to price it up with Betfair. That would be an extraordinary turn of events if there's a triumph hurdle run without an English runner in it. But it's definitely not a massive price. Uh Dave is right to flag that up. Um JP McManus had a pretty uh, some nice winners over the weekend in various different categories, including in the Potemps qualifier at Chepstow TC. Thanks for the help. Is now eight to one from 16s for the final at the festival. Um David Pipe, the trainer, very lightly raced individual and got this profile of the old second time wind up, which I, I don't really like that. Second time in a very short career, he's had his wind tweaked, but yeah. seemed to work the Oracle. Yeah, I think they put first time cheat pieces on as well. And if there's been an easier handicap winner this season, than yeah. I've yet to see it. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, he was winning off a mark of 117 and I think he won by five and a half flames, but I don't think they're going to get much change out of uh, a stone. Um, <laughs> that might be lenient, but that might be what they want because if they are going to the attempts, and that was obviously the last attempts qualifier, you know, 131 or so might get him into it. Now, you have got into the attempts off 126 in recent years, but it's normally around about the 134 mark. So I think it's going to be one occasion where David Pipe and JP will be hoping for a proper smash up from, from the assessor so they can give them the option of running there. I mean, Betfair are now non one no bet on all Cheltenham Festival markets. And I know the Irish have got Shoot First and Maxim. And, and obviously, we, we don't know the weights yet. So obviously, it's we can't get too, uh, we, we can't get too bullish about it. But I mean, if that gets in the weights and you're six and sevens, non one no bet for that. I mean, if you believe that performance, and he gets enough a very uh, uh, towards the bottom of the weights. Then he's a serious player, isn't he? No matter what the Irish fire over. Okay, um, Brendan, let's come to you for Zenta, um, who won the juvenile grade three at Fairy House on Saturday. Kind of despite mm. herself, really in the closing stages, yeah, the mistake she made. Um, She's now she's unchanged at twenties for the mayor's novices hurdle and the triumph. Obviously, she's a four-year-old. Um, and look, we know that in the triumph, the owner obviously has comfort zone for the race. Uh, I, I guess I, I when I read on the running order that she was unchanged, I, I did wonder. It's rare that a horse wins on Irish debut for that operation for that trainer, and in the manner of a horse with plenty more to come, and goes unchanged in any market these days. Yes, I suppose perhaps it was a combination of she was put in a care for price. She was four to nine on Saturday. I mean, really, of course, that, that means that there was a um, 30% chance she wouldn't win the race. So you could justify a cut on the back of that. But also, in fairness to the layers, what do they know about the race? The second um, was 
relatively a highly rated horse. I think he was up around 90 in France and cost a few quid. So it could be a decent race, but they're completely guessing. And, and then it's it, it's a hurdle back to the third. Uh, she kicked the last two hurdles out of the way. Now, in fairness, she had jumped well up to that. So And and she probably will run uh, because Willie seems to have no problem just carpet bombing the, the triumph. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's very difficult to... It's very difficult to get a handle on the form. Um, she's a nice, uh, strong filly. Some of these uh, horses he gets from France are ponies, but uh, she has a bit of substance to her. Um, but 20 to 1 wouldn't be making obvious appeal to me. Okay, fair comment. Um, let's move on to Footsteps of the Festival, guys. Unless TC or Kevin have anything to say about said filly, which neither of them are looking that keen. So let's move on. Just hope... Com- uh- uh, Kevin sends comfort zone over. Uh, Winnie's going to have the first, second, third, and fourth favourites for the triumph, isn't he? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, no, no. Him. He is. He is going. He is an intended in the triumph. So yeah, we might avoid that situation, but still, <laughs> might might still transpire if they're strong yeah, exactly. in the market on the day. Um, let's talk footsteps to the festival, guys. This is week eight, and as it's already been flagged up by one of the boys, it's non-runner money back on all 28 Cheltenham Festival races on the Betfest Sportsbook. We are talking all things trappy and tricky handicap hurdles. Three races to get through the boodle, the boodles, I should say, the Coral Cup and the County Hurdle. We will start with the juveniles, start with the boodles. Uh, Takao is your four to one favourite currently. The aforementioned Nuzra at fives, Biker in there at sixes, Perseus Way eight, as we've already discussed. Sir Allen is also eight. Bo Zenith is 11s, but might miss the festival. Bigger prices after that. Um, I was going to start with you, TC, as we haven't heard from you in a minute, but you don't have much to say on these races. Um, I, I just think, obviously, we don't know the weights yet. And yeah. I mean, if I've got a pet hate, I've got a million, but I just, <laughs> I, I, I hate the people who, I know you can get the smidge in the valley by trying to second guess the handicap and stuff like that, but I think people who back in the handicap without the entries and especially without the weights, it's a bit of a tracker mentality, isn't it? So focus on one horse. Forget about the opposition. So, I mean, obviously, it'll be, a, you know, I, I'm not going to come out and say, you know, I fancy this and I fancy that. But coming back to that run on Saturday, I thought Perseus Way was was really good. I know it's auntie and uncles and all that, but if that horse could jump, I mean, a mark of 125 is is a bit of a gift. I mean, he was badly hampered. Um, you know, he made two, mis- he not only made the mistake at the last, he made a mistake at the second last as well. Um, and he was given he was given the win of three pounds. So I'd be interested to see what the handicapper does with him on Tuesday or Wednesday, because there were some people saying, even though the weights are due out tomorrow, they're not going to announce them until there's a lunch at Cheltenham or Wednesday. So I don't know what they're doing. They might delay it 24 hours so people can get a few uh, few jars in and a few uh, cocktail sausages in. So I don't know what's happening there. But no, I'd be interested to see what Perseus Way gets. But... Yeah, he's jumping, it'll probably just like kill him, wouldn't it? But yeah. just as a side note on that, I mean, you make the reference to some sort of launch, lunch, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, we've had the national weights lunch. Did we not have a couple of questions that haven't quite made the cut, but from people just flagging up the fact that the Cheltenham weights reveal is always this sort of sketchy situation with people who have a login to the site can look at them, people who don't can't. Then you get screenshots all over Twitter from various different accounts. The whole thing is not a clear cut. Here you go, everyone. Here is the Cheltenham handicap entries and the weights, is it? We actually had three questions on a similar theme there. And 
It's funny because I was trying to find out the Cheltenham entries um, last week for some of the races. So there's an account on Twitter called Anti Post Punter. Um, and if I want to know something about when the weights are coming out, when the entry stages are coming out, I just direct messages him and I just say, well, where are all these entries? And he said, well, it's unlike in previous years. They come out in dribs and drabs. There's nowhere on the BHC site that they come out in full. He said it's just a bit of a dog's breakfast. And I think, you know, we had three, I sorry, I, I forgot the, the name of the questioners about the similar theme and stuff. It's just highly unsatisfactory. It gets to the stage where people actually go to odds checker or bookmaker sites to find out what's been entered. Mm. It's it's madness. It's very simple things can be done a lot better. And that's one another area from the BHA. Let's talk um, over this for let, years. Let's refocus. So... We're refocusing, Kev, onto the Boodles market. Do you have a strong fancy in it as things stand at the moment with the prices that I've already read off so I won't bore people with them again? Um, well, look, just while he's at the top of the market, we'll, we'll talk about the KO for a minute um, because he could be one that fits uh, for, for the trends boys. Uh, a bit bit more of a quirky one. He could fit the profile of one that historically has done very well in this race. In in that, he's one that his handicap mark has seemingly been ruined by his third run, um, probably by mistake, uh, because there's been a few that have won this race in recent years. Brazil, Aramax, Band of Outlaws, all for whom their final run before Cheltenham probably didn't go perfectly to plan. Um, and they ended up getting a few pounds more than they would have otherwise and uh to cat was was just like that because when i when i saw him win at a leopardstown christmas meeting i thought to myself oh god I, this is this is surely a boodle's horse because um mark walsh was at pains to win by as small a margin as possible um i heard afterwards he he didn't seem to want to make the running and i heard afterwards um typical kind of race course chatter you hear that he'd um that he'd run out in a schooling race or something like that and they really didn't want to make the running with him and um and they sat and they sat and they went steady and he just won half a length. Um, but of course the rules say you have to have had three runs over hurdles to qualify for this. So Willie stuck him in the 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 grade one and he he had a wide out passage, but um he hung in there quite well considering and um, beating 12 and a half lengths. And I think he, he got seven pounds off the Irish handicapper. So so let's see what they do tomorrow now. But I can definitely see why he's fab. And um, if I had to give one to a mention at a bigger price, um Samuel Spade. I um, saw him win the other day at Huntington. Um, Huntington, sorry, um, Dan Barber will be correcting me. Um, <laughs> habit of a lifetime. And um, Ben Pauling um, had a egg and spoon race uh, there the other day, and Julie won well, but like jumped notably left all the way. And um, I'd say going back around the other way would be no harm at all. And um, had finished second to tease the one TC mentioned there, Percy's way prior to that. Um, under you know. A, a, you know, under probably quite a ride than ideal. So I could see a case there, but look, the weights will reveal most, uh, if not all. Okay, Brendan, what's your boodles fancy at this anti-post stage, please? Well, it's ter- it's terrible. Not that I was particularly strong on anything, given the caveats the lads have mentioned about the weights, but it was Nuzrat, because I'd come up with this theory that the handicapper couldn't move much off 130 unless he wants to absolutely hammer Percy's way. But then our mole in the yard uh, tells us that he's, pro- he's probably not going to go there. And, and, and maybe he is a better horse going right-handed. But other than that, the race sets up perfectly for him, doesn't it? It's going to be running at a strong pace, loads of yeah. cover. He can be delivered late. But maybe, 
maybe if we could ask Kev not to contextualise the fact if the handicapper does leave him on 130, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but I really don't see how he's much room to put him up. Uh, if he leaves him, and Kev doesn't mention to the Muneers that, uh, well, actually, it's because he's done such and such with the English trained horses, they might decide, oh, well, we'll definitely run him. <laughs> he was 130 before he won a grade two, he's still 130, must win. Yeah, oh, yeah and, and, and I wouldn't like to say he definitely won't run because look, it's ultimately it'll be down to the owners. And uh, if they change their mind, the, the horses, the horses route will change. But um, I, I, I don't think he, he couldn't possibly touch his mark. You know, he, he was receiving three pounds from Perseus Way as well. So he'd need to. He couldn't. He'd be a million to one. He does some funny things, the old British, the old British handicapping team, I should say, not singular. But mm. I don't think they'll be moving him. Plaudits to uh, Brendan for saying the Muniers instead of double green. So I'm, I'm introducing, I'm introducing. If you mention double green and weighed in or racing only better, hundred pounds for the injured jockey. Hundred pounds. Came out with that. Come what's on. Your, what's your issue with double green? Just, am I allowed to say wanky? Well, I, I was thinking you were going to say that word, so that's... Well, wanky, really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever used that word before. I mean, no, I was expecting that. But we call... the What about the green and gold? Well, we often refer to them without... Yeah, I, I, I don't mind the double green. There's bigger crimes. There's bigger crimes. I think there probably are bigger crimes out there, yeah. Um, should we talk about the Coral Cup, guys? Um, the Coral Cup has HMS Seahorse up at the top at eight. Obviously, this market is just... I mean, to say it's wide open is an understatement. At eight, we've got HMS Seahorse, Mai Tai, Run for Oscar and Winter Fog. One point bigger at nine to one, Brandy Love. Ten to one, Horton Collage. Tens, Langer Dan. Um, all in there, all horses that have been teed up for handicaps in their past and may land another one here, Brendan. Yes, um, a, a very very competitive race, and uh, again, I've, I I kind of felt obliged to come up with a selection, and I do think he's almost certain to run well, but he's eight to one at the moment. I'm not sure he'd be much shorter on the day, but this HMS Seahorse, so <laughs> he's he, he's just a very likable horse. I mean, he was uh, fourth in the in the Boodles last year, progressive sort. He's only had seven starts over hurdles. One of them was a complete disaster in Galway when he made the run, and I don't know whether whether it was making the run or it was just an off day but he jumped abysmally um he previously uh, won a handicap in uh the cur alpha mark in the 80s and went up to 100 i, th- I, I think now he was he was stuffed off 100 in his next uh, flat start but he is a very talented horse still relatively unexposed and jumped well again it was good to see that the galway run hadn't scarred him jumped well again in the main in navin uh, when winning off a mark of 132 in what's usually a, a competitive handicap hurdle, a 30 grand handicap hurdle in Navin. Uh, he's, he's got the festival form. He's still unexposed. He's going to get in. And I think he looks certain to run well. OK, like it. I'm going to have to start cracking the whip because timing wise, we need to leave plenty of time for the topics at the end of the show. So Coral Cup selection, please, Kev Blake. Um, I actually quite like HMSC horse as well. He, he was right. very fancy for the Boodles last year and he, and he ran well, but he looks better now. Um, he was very well fancy for the Galway hurdle and he, he didn't actually get in and that's why he ended up running in that novice race that he disappointed in, but that was a messy old contest and that's it. He couldn't go, they couldn't go quick enough in front of him really, but um, I'm, I'm not going to be taking a big view in this until we get the weights, Vanessa. I give a mention to San Salvador. Um, he was. I was quite impressed with him uh, at Pontchartrain last time, and he's been put away and, and trained with this in mind. So um, I, I give him a mention. Wouldn't be a certainty to get in, but he would have the Martin Pipe as a backup. 
Okay. And TC, I know you've given the weights caveat already. So if you've got no bet. No, it's just very quickly. I mean, we do know how the handicap is treated Campron. So I think the green and gold Campron off 138, uh, if that's confirmed tomorrow or Wednesday, is it very interesting. He's, I mean, he's, he was fourth in the race last year of 140. Um, obviously, and then he went on to win really well at Punchdown, rate 147. He's now 138 after, you know, go and have a look at their muscle bull run over two miles last time. It's They did very well to get some more weight on there, uh, weight off there. Yeah, Cambron would be interesting, but again, you want to see how the Irish are treated before having any bets. Okay, let's move on to the county hurdle. We've got Filey Bay up at the top at sixes after his performance recently. For the Emmett Mullins yard, Gin Coco in there at eights, Hunter's Yarn eights, Pembroke eights, Ile Tomps uh, tens as Charger and Winter Fog as well in there at ten to one. Those are just the top few in the county hurdle market. Brendan, any any major fancy here? Any pointer? Well, a little bit similar to, to HMS Seahorse. I think a horse is sure to run well, but maybe eight to one you might get it on the day but that Jean Coco totally unexposed horse uh, caught a tartar in the great wood behind I like to move at miles back to the third that was a, probably wasn't the deepest renewal of the great wood I, I, I take that point but a, a totally uh, unexposed horse went off favourite for a novice handicap hurdle in uh, Punches Town last year clearly well regarded I mean is the reason he hasn't run since November because of the county hurdle? The boy Fry is very careful. I mean, this horse seems to want good ground. So, although it doesn't seem to have rained in the last two months, so he probably could have found it. But may- maybe he just likes the mark. 135 looks almost certain to get in, and I thought it would go well. Okay, Kevin, over to you for the county hurdle. Yeah, I give a mention to Paddy Adam. Um, he, he was he, I napped him in the the big handicap hurdle at the Dublin Racing Festival there, took a chance on his race fitness and and he ran very well, I thought. He was third to um, to Gaelic Warrior, um, would have been second another day, but um, there's a fair chance he might sharpen up from that because there didn't seem to be much market confidence behind him. And uh, he finished fifth to statement in the race last year. He'll, he'll probably be off a similar weight in fairness, but that'll be fine. And uh, I think he's kind of setting and jumping a bit sharper than he did back in the day when he was second in a Supreme. So I give him a good mention. And finally, TC, anything jumping out the page at you? Uh, no, I thought Fardy, obviously the market's all over Fardy Bay. Only got £4 for that Newbury uh, second to bet, uh, in the Betford hurdle. Um, probably unlucky loser there. So, I mean, that's, if that again, if that £4 confirmed in the next couple of days um, for the county hurdle, then... You know, he deserves to be favourite, doesn't he? But like, they, there'll be no end of there'll be no end of dangers in there. And a lot of people will be a bit annoyed if LA2 Tom's come here instead of the <laughs> But that's Willie's world. Willie's world. We're just living in it, as they say. Um, let's move on to hot topics, guys. Hot topics coming your way from the week. Uh, we are going to kick off with one that might not have been up at the top of the news list for many listeners out there, but it's something that TC has flagged up to us. Um, obviously, strikes. Strikes are plenty here in the UK in the last few months. Various people striking for various different things. And during the Cheltenham Festival, we already know we're going to have to deal with a train strike on the Thursday, which will affect people coming to Cheltenham them from London but there's another strike on the horizon as well TC yeah the junior doctors have come out on strike um so they're they're having a 72 hour strike 
on uh, starting on Monday. So that's Monday through to Wednesday. And I was only alerted to this because Paul Strabbers um, tweeted on Sunday morning, I think it was, about, you know, is this a concern? And if all the consultants and all the private doctors are, you know, dragged into hospital to actually cover for the junior doctors and junior doctors account for about 80% of like A&E staff as well. So it'd be interesting to see what, if there's any ramifications at all. I mean, obviously they got private ambulances in place and stuff like that, but um, it's a concern of a force. I'd have thought, you know, the BHA might've come out and, and, and gave us and gave them, you know, given a, given a line on that when the strikes were announced. But yeah, I mean, the whole of that week is just, I think there's more, you mentioned the, uh, the train strike on the first year. I think there's some other people striking as well. And geez, geez, quite, I mean, do you, can you imagine, you know, a lot of people are going to be getting uh, buses and coaches from London to Cheltenham. Can you imagine the state of those coaches on the way back on the Thursday night? Oh dear. After well, I met, I met some and torched, I think those coaches. Well, apparently that's what, um, obviously off the back of Newcastle student night, because I was there on the ground, I got lots of inside intel. And there's a coach company who buses their students to the track and buses them back. And I think they literally have to power hose off the inside and outside afterwards, essentially, which is pretty grim. But in all seriousness, the train strikes, absolute disaster. I spoke to, I met a young lad the other day planning on going racing on the Thursday with his pals. It's their big annual day out. They're just young lads in London, big racing fans. And they are now thinking about not going because like if they can't get there and back and afford to do it. And it's already an expensive day. They might just all go to the pub and watch it in London and do it that way instead. So I think there'll be a few sorry stories like that. Um, but anyway, Hopefully not too many. Um, let's move on to the next topic, which, of course, is the whip. But given the week that was, I think it'd be wrong of us not to discuss it on this week's podcast because it's and it's on every podcast, it would seem. Uh, but obviously, on Tuesday, we got the news was Tuesday yet. The first bans for the new whip rules came out and we saw one disqualification. Charlotte Jones for finishing second in a bumper. We also saw well a big headline, really, of the 20 bands that were um, given in that first week of the new the new whip rules was Lorcan Williams' 18-day ban seemed to be the headline. Obviously, he's going to miss the Cheltenham Festival. It was for going over the permitted amount in a top-level race. And I think it's fair to say many of us will agree that the punishments don't fit the crime. But the flip side of that is that these are the rules that the jockeys negotiated. Yes, they've come in at a bad time ahead of such a big festival, but jockeys are going to have to adapt, and 20 of them didn't, Kev. Um, yeah, look, it was surprising, disappointing. Uh, I don't like the rules. I don't like the way they've gone about it. I don't like the timing of it, but this is it. They had a betting in period so the lads could get a, a bit used to riding under the new rules, and it, it was a disappointing level of compliance. Um, the rules are the rules. Um, doesn't matter if you don't like them. you got to play by them. And I was disappointed with that, surprised and disappointed, especially the DQ. And look, I know a lot of the bands were for less experienced jockeys and some will use that as mitigation. But, but that's the rules of the rules. And Jesus, if they if they um, if they don't get a bit more compliant pretty quick now, they we're, we're, we're shaping up for like an absolute uh, doomsday scenario at Cheltenham where we get a horse disqualified, um, uh, which would be. Like, it's just such a mess because it'll be so unsatisfactory in so many levels. You're going to have 
all the people that go that are that are you know going public publicly saying like this is ridiculous, this is silly, these rules are stupid, and then you you've got the the once a year viewers that are then looking in at this saying you're not happy that they haven't whipped the horses enough, you know it, it, it it's it's just a, a mess, an absolute mess, avoidable mess as as we keep saying, um, but God talk about the whole thing kind of taking a left turn and going wrong this 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 is this is heading for a big hole at the minute now unless the lads kind of cop on and uh, and just play ball with what are stupid rules but they're, they're going to have to play ball or else this is going to get way worse for everyone did i read that gordon elliott was uh was was quite forthright on this this morning kev this yeah top. he was quite he was quite pointed on it he just see he can't i'm sure you'll, you'll see the comments yourselves and he he gave um, I did a piece of the camera with him for for Sky Sports and he he repeated the comments and basically saying he can't understand how it's been allowed come to this and he said it's literally keeping him awake at night the thought that um, he could his whole season revolves around this he could go to Cheltenham have a winner and because the jockey went um, went four over that it'd be taken off um, taken off them you know a week later. He was worried about not just himself, but you know, worried about an owner having a horrific experience in a situation like that and potentially getting getting soured out of the game. Um, like the potential for, and, and as we've said before, it's not like this wasn't highlighted in before these rules ever came in. That by doing it the way they're doing it, there's the potential for a horrific mess. Um, they proceeded um, on the assumption that they would get com- a higher level of compliance, one assumes. We'll see, we'll see what comes from last week. You know, you'd hope the compliance levels would have gone up a lot because if it doesn't improve, you'd be really concerned. I think you'll be concerned anyway because Cheltenham's different to racing last week, this week. You know, it's different. Um, we're going to have a lot of Irish lads. It matters so much more. Um, you, you'd be fearful. You really would. Yeah. Um, we've had so many questions sent in about this. It's obviously been occupying the minds of plenty of our listeners and viewers out there. Mac, Paul, Savage Cliff, Dylan Braithwaite, David Brown, Kenneth Coffey, Mick, Chris, Johnny too. The list is endless. Had loads and loads of different angles sent in in this regard, Brendan. Um, mm. But I stand by my comments last week and in regards to what Kevin's saying about a doomsday moment at Cheltenham, I still feel, and I maintain this, that we're watching a slow-mo car crash happen that's going to, the crash will actually happen at, around and in and around one of the big races at the Cheltenham Festival. Yes, I, I, I really feel like I, I, I should talk to the BHA about this because I am the BHA in this case, because I actually have a theory that if they did away with the whip altogether, it wouldn't affect racing. But I was talking to Paddy Brown about this uh, years ago, and I know I've, I've read Kevin, he has the exact same opinion as, as Paddy. I, 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 keep, I keep mentioning him, but he's a, he's a prophet unrecognised in his own land, the boy Brown. And he said, and I said, look, if they did away with the whips, the, the, the horse has been bred for 300 years. Uh, the, the jockeys are so good to run. The, it, it wouldn't affect the race. And he said, are you sure about that? And I said, well, no, I'm not sure, but, I, but, but that's my opinion. And he said, well, if you're not sure, it's not good enough because you could fundamentally change the structure of the game and make, make the product unrecognisable and do terrible damage. And the way you need to look at it is the way he, himself and Kevin look at it is, what are you doing this for? You're doing it for people who, even if you get rid of the whips, they're going to find another reason why they don't like horse racing. So yeah. the BHA are bringing all this attention on themselves. And as Kevin says, there, there might be people, uh, the, the, the casual viewers looking in and they're saying, uh, oh, they're not whipping the horses enough. They didn't need to bring attention to this. 
that's exactly what what they didn't need to do and so that's the mistake they've made they're, they I, I think they're looking at it the the wrong way they're looking at it the way that oh they don't need to whip the horses as much and that's potentially true but it's also a potential fallacy and they just didn't need to do it and it's a, it, it's a shame to um have a self-imposed car crash as, as you call it it's an awful shame one, one thing that the questions did bring up the case of uh, was where are the bha they're not getting out on the front foot they're not coming out with a public face and a public voice on this uh, i think itv and luck on sunday both are someone from the bha to come on and discuss this and they declined now Maybe Julie Harrington's stood out the country. Maybe she is on holiday. But I've got a question for you. Put your hands up so you're not typing away. Who is the BHA Director of Comms? No, um, yeah, I, I know the answer to that, yeah. yeah. No, do you? Yeah. I've got my hand up. Go on, who is he? Robin Mounsey. No. BHA Director of Comms is Greg Swift. Hmm. I'm down. I've he, he, he was in the post in October 2022. He's an ex-journo. He's an ex-in-government. It wouldn't surprise me if he's behind uh, that uh, Rishi Sunak uh, uh, announcement last week. But if Harrington, Harrington isn't there, what is the director of comms job to do? Is go out there and defend your company's position. Now, if Harrington wasn't available at the weekend, where is he? He should be coming, he should be sitting on that sofa. He should be chatting to Matt Chapman, chatting to Nick Luck, and explaining it, defending the, the BHA's position. Like I say, I where where is he in all this? It's as so the, the lack of like I say, the lack of kind of like on the front foot nature uh, of the BHA is is quite staggering on this issue. But something okay. so important. It's, it's, it's almost as if they want a giant controversy to explode over this issue. Why might they want that? Well, why, why, why would that be? Yeah. Why? There seems to be a, view, a long-standing view in the BHA that they'd like the whip done away with altogether for encouragement. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And Greg Swift is the director of Comms and Corporate Affairs. Right. Okay, well, Kevin raises an interesting. Can we call that a conspiracy theory or a different yeah. angle? Well, well, no, cynicism. Just, just, just very, very briefly. Uh, I, I, and I did mention last week that the, the, the things are different in in, in Britain in, in terms of how they relate to animals. It, it's not a, a totally illegitimate uh, concern. I went to the races with a woman once, and I, I, I had a horse got up in a photo finish, and I was there. Oh, brilliant! Absolutely loves the game that horse, which I shouldn't have said, of course. What am I, Doctor Doolittle? I don't know what was going on. With the horse, is it? But but I, but I said, oh, because you know you get excited when you've had a winner. He stuck his neck out, and she said to me, "Well, if he loves it so much, why are they whipping him?" And it was the first time she'd ever been at the races uh, from Chicago, Windy City. Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't last that relationship. But anyway, she just made an interesting point as a casual, Kevin's favorite place. <laughs> as, 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 as a casual um, uh, race goer, that people do notice these things, and but still, it's it's just not enough to justify what they're doing. You know, okay. here's one for you, just just very quickly. No, 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 no. No, no, very, very quick. It's important. Um, go on to Twitter. There, there's an account, uh, Florian at Pro Horse Racing. An article's gone up. Went and bought a whip. Uh, and wrote an article about it. You know, I'm a racing fan for, for over a decade, never held a pro cush. Um, well worth reading. 
Um, because like many of us have, have said over the years that rather than going down the road or trying to rein in whip use, there would have been a view there that education was the way forward and, and telling people why this isn't an issue. And uh, I, I, what's the response that article is getting in a very short space of time? It's, uh, it's quite telling for me. Okay, we need to kick on. Thanks for that, though, Kev. Um, Last little area. Well, no, we move on to talk about all things Paul Kimmage again, because he's written another article in the Sunday, uh, the Irish Independent, sorry, uh, this time in relation to, well, he's calling out uh, Lynn Hillier, the Irish Racing's Chief Veterinary Officer, for her and the IHRB's silence on the article he wrote in relation to Homer Scott, which was this horrific welfare article Paul Kimmage um, did a big piece on a week ago. And the point that he's now making is that Lynn Hillier is very quiet on all things related to Homer Scott. But of course, I, I don't know whether the, he, well, I'm sure, I presume he does know this, but obviously he seems to have failed to put in there that the IHRB are not responsible for Homer Scott because he no longer holds a license. So they are only responsible for licensed premises. And Homer Scott is not a licensed premises anymore. So he is just a man who has horses, which means that then he falls into a wider, broader animal welfare issue, which I, I would expect, Kevin, maybe you can clear this up. That means that someone would need to flag up his situation to the police or the the or version of the RSPCA or the Department of Agriculture, I presume. Yeah, a few things here. I wasn't on last week. So just for the sake of balance, I'd say I actually thought Kimmage's bit on Homer Scott but it was a very worthwhile piece of journalism. Um, horrendous case. No one wants to see that happening. And uh, he, he found eyewitness accounts and dealt with it properly. You know, that's the way to do it. Um, uh, but you're right in saying that. I, and I don't know if he does know um, I don't think he would have wrote what he wrote this week if he did know that um, the IHRB can't do anything here. You know, they don't that's they don't have a jurisdiction to go into, um, uh, you know, a yard and look and look at broodmares and, and take action over that. That's a completely different thing. They don't regulate broodmares. Um, so, you know, why did he asked the question, why are they treating this case differently to his um, his best pal, Stephen Mahan's case? Um, well, well, they're completely different. Um, completely different and that's why they're treating it differently um, um, and look so, some aspects of the way he reported the case you know don't, did, didn't sit terribly well but um, like I say it was good journalism to go and get that that Homer Scott story but he just diminishes the the, the, the journalistic value in that by continuing to bring it around to his you know regurgitating his, his third hand pub talk from Stephen Mahan again this week um, ad, ad nauseum so I think that he 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 came for, he took you know two steps forward and one step back. But uh, look, the the next we'll hear about the Homer Scott case, I'd imagine, will be when the department deals with it. Um, as we've talked about before, with other cases such as John Warwick, etc., like these things move really slowly in Ireland. You know that's a product of the legal system. That's the people think all oh, these cases have gone away; it's been brushed under the carpet. Lads, they just take ages. Like we're talking a couple of years, most likely. So, so don't hold your breath on it. Um, but look, that, that Homer Scott case was really worrying. A sad case in many ways for a man that has, a, has, the, the, has had the success in the business that he's had. But look, his business and everything else is clearly, standards have clearly gone massively downhill um, in, in subsequent years. So look, hopefully that's dealt with properly. Those horses um, get out of there, basically, um, because the, the standards in there um, clearly aren't good enough for what the we set a very high standard in this country for our care of thoroughbreds in particular. And uh, what's going on in there um, clearly wasn't good enough. 
No, absolutely. A long, long way off being anywhere near good enough. Uh, Rover Joyce has asked, Brendan, Paul Kimmich seems to be getting closer to a finish with his articles. Any worry there is a bombshell coming the week of Cheltenham? Absolutely no worries. These lads must have serious faith in back class. I fall for it occasionally, (laughs) but Kimmich... Kimmich has nothing because there is nothing. No, well, not nothing. I mean, in, in any sport, in, in, in any way of uh, life where there's a big prize me on it, people will cut corners and cheat. But it's not. He's suggesting it's systemic and borderline state-sponsored. Well, not state-sponsored, but that it's, it's overlooked as in the, the authorities don't want to know about it because it would be bad for the brand. I don't think that's the case at all. I think this is where all cons- yeah, basically all conspiracy theories fall down. It's so hard to keep a secret. Do you know how many people can keep a secret, Vanessa? One, one person. <laughs> That's the, the, yeah, well, this is it. That's that, that, and, and you're doing your Blofeld thing at the moment there. And you even you can't keep a secret. And he was the head of a massive criminal conspiracy. It's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and and that's why I don't think that uh, drugs are rampant in our in our in Irish race. And and I'm I, obviously I don't like the guy. And I, I thought Kevin was kind to him to say that he doesn't realise the very major differences between the 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 the, the, the Mahan case and the Homer Scott case. I think he does. And this is the, this is how he rolls. He has all these little threads that he just suggests these things. Oh, you can weave those threads together yourself. You can weave them together incorrectly. And he's happy enough for you to do that. But. I may be wrong on that score. Thank you, Brendan. TC, do you have anything to add in regards to Paul Kimmage? No, I think those two dealt with it fairly enough. Okay, should we move on to a few hand-picked questions then, TC? Yeah, Yeah, let's do that. Let's start with Paul's question, which we thought was an interesting one. We're trying to cover different angles here. So uh, plenty of news topics done and dusted with. But Paul sent in a question to TC that asked, should each way terms be dealt with differently when there is a non-runner? If you're backing a horse at 14 to 1 in an eight horse race and receive a 20 pence rule four, you also lose the place terms that you originally backed. A double whammy. Is there a fairer system that could be used, TC? Um, look, it is incredibly annoying. Um, in these days where we're getting a lot of withdrawals because of the ground, it's, it's becoming more prevalent, isn't it? And yeah, I mean, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the solution is. Um, we, we have, we've had kind of like suggestions in the past that, you know, when you have an each way bet and an eight or so on a race that you, you can, the technology could exist where you tick a box and say, look, if this, if the each way terms of this race change, then I want my bet voided. But that's just, you know, that's just a license for actually chaos, isn't it? Because if the horse goes and wins or finish second, when you get a, a greater each way return, then, you know, they're going to say, oh, I didn't mean to tick the box. So mm-hmm. I think it's just unsatisfactory, but I don't, I can't see an easy way around it. Well, in a better world, TC, we just have separate win and place markets. Yeah. And the, and the place market will be run a little bit like they are in the exchanges. You know, and there'll they, they, they be no such thing as a bad each way race or a good each way what race. What about the purists? What about the <laughs> the Balaclava Brigade. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin, you can have the next question. Gary Stevens has asked, how come UK slash Irish racing broadcasters don't have an in-running position ticker at the bot- bottom of the screen with cloth numbers slash colours like French and Hong Kong or even virtual races have? It makes <laughs> the viewing experience better, particularly on the flat and would be helpful for newcomers. I actually really don't like that ticker at the bottom when they have that with 
American racing, Hong Kong and French, but I guess it's all different people's opinions here, Kev. Uh, I, I don't mind the big fields. It can be helpful, especially when you're when you're a bit zoomed out you know it can it can it can sometimes make clear what isn't clear um look at the technology issue look we're, we have shocking levels of technology in british and irish racing we we can't get sectional times right um never mind this um look at it, it's been in a heap of other countries for decades at this stage but um our standards of technology are awful and um hopefully hopefully will get better one assumes they will but um don't be don't be setting your old alarm clock waiting for a headset no, that's a fair comment. Um, Amanda Shepherd has asked, Brendan, this is one for you, although it's obviously she's been racing in the UK, but you can inform us of how it is in Ireland as well. Mm. Um, Amanda has asked, why don't announcers keep racegoers properly informed? E.g. at Warwick on Friday, the first race, five pounds, five pounds to get in that day, maybe? Lots of likely new attendees, no reason for inquiry, no one told to keep slips, would have been chaos if result overturned and a poor experience. I guess the point she's making there is our race goers, um, given all the information on the day, and uh, from my experiences on track over here, I'm often surprised that the PA system doesn't announce certain things that I then hear from my producer in my ear. Um, what's it what's it like over in Ireland? Do you, do you think race goes get served well enough in that regard? Well, certainly the most important thing is that Stuart's inquiry to retain all slips. We, we would always get that announcement in, in Ireland. And, and, and that Warwick case, I mean, I watched that race and it did look like something had gone radically wrong and there would be changes. So that was a very poor show. I, I find it hard to believe. Do they not announce Stuart's inquiries on the track in England, no? No, they do. They do. They do. But I don't know what I wasn't at Warwick on Friday. Well, true. Yeah, well, well, if they didn't, uh, they, they, they'd fallen down on the job there in Warwick. Generally, you'd be pretty well informed, I feel, in Ireland. I mean, I, I don't listen to half, but there's an awful lot of background noise. There seems to be a lot of music at race courses at the moment. I just zone most of it out. But they'll be on telling you about uh, non-runners and jockey changes. If, if you wanted to cock your ears, I'm sure you could hear plenty, yeah? Just just very, I know we're short on time again now. What did you, what did you reference, what were you referencing there when you got, you said you got, your producer telling you something you don't hear on on course, Vanessa? Um, sometimes. So obviously when I'm in my role on course, I'll always check in in the weighing room for jockey changes, colour changes and late non-runners that I might not have seen. But sometimes with maybe a colour change, things like that, which is pretty, you know, it's pretty important stuff, especially if you're a race goer on course, get confused about what horse is what if they're in a completely different set of colours. And it hasn't been announced on track, but I've heard it in my ear. And I often think, God, that would have been a bit more helpful if someone had announced that. But I guess I suppose it will be different uh different for different tracks because obviously different PA announcers but the other stuff is even after a race I often hear it in my ear first or see it on Twitter that there's been you know a ban or um, a, a stewards you hear that there is a stewards inquiry but often you just hear the announcement is that the results remain or the results are reversed, which is obviously fine. That's what you want as a punter. But there's other bits and pieces of information in regards to people picking up bands or any other nuggets of information that you sometimes would expect to hear on course and you, and you don't. But I do think it's probably different at different tracks. Yeah. To be fair to Tom, he always tells us when there's a photo. Well, and, and he's very, very, you know, diligent with that as well. Photo. I think you'll find it's pronounced photo. 
Um, look, guys, oh, no, we've got one more question. Um, we've got a question from Stuart here. Is there a bigger gravy train in racing than the Cheltenham preview evening circuit? Should we all do a hands up with how many we're doing? Let's go first. <laughs> Brendan, how many how many Cheltenham Festival previews are you doing? One. Oh, very good. Kevin, yeah. how many are you doing? Two. Interesting. And TC, what about you? One, the Betfair one next week. Very good. Yes, the Betfair one, 8th of March, the Betfair Cheltenham Festival preview. Uh, it's going to be an in-depth look at all the races over the four days. And it'll be myself and this gang. And we'll have other people involved as well. So do not miss it. Come who, who, who's, who, we, who we reckon's doing the most? Yeah, I, I think that that's I think that's a call to action for from this question, Vanessa, because if, the, the 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 asker probably didn't get as meaty an answer as they were hoping for. I'm going to challenge or suggest to any of our listeners to compile a league table of uh, mm. a, a, yes. of Cheltenham preview appearances because they do carry like a bulk um, list of them. Um, it's certainly, the Irish field and possibly in the Racing Post as well. So it wouldn't take that long. And uh, I don't know who do you have in as Fav, Brendan Duke. I'd have Davy Russell with the yes. recent, with the recent massively improved Johnny Deneen. He was like he was out, <laughs> he was out of training for about twenty years, and now just people have read have rediscovered him. Well, rediscovered him. He was hiding for all that time. But anyway, he's in one of, in one of the great pivots in racing history. He, he he's now he's now a broadcaster, a much beloved one. So I'd say he could give Russell a run for his money. I reckon da David Jennings would probably be my favourite. No, I've got I, I, I gotta go with Kevin O'Ryan. Kevin O'Ryan's the Quivega of the Cheltenham preview circuit. He does <laughs> yeah. back every year. Anyway, if, if someone does that list, we can call it the Arbisto list, can't we? Arbisto. Arbisto. The old gravy. One for the, one for the 80s adverts over here. Yeah, when he asks, is there a bigger gravy train in racing than the Cheltenham Festival preview evening circuit? I actually would argue that yes, there is, and it's called the Middle East, basically. <laughs> That would be I think we can all agree with that. And on that bombshell, uh, I am saying goodbye because this show has rolled on long enough. Boys, thank you very much, as always. Viewers and listeners out there, thank you. Keep your questions coming. Keep your feedback coming. We like it all. Although, though, actually, I, I delved into some of the YouTube comments. Not that nice. I, there I am asking the YouTube comments. Somebody said that I drove them to drink. Yeah, well, you and me. You so, and sorry, me. Vanessa, I was drunk when I posted that. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, I drive myself to drink half the time. So thanks as always for the feedback. You know, it's greatly taken on board. Uh, but join us again on Thursday. We'll be back with Racing Any Better, looking ahead to the weekend's action. But for the time being, enjoy the week that was weighed in.